0: Thank you so much, worship team, for, for taking the time to lead us in worship today. I know that, that it's awkward for a lot of us to be uh, worshiping from home, but I actually think that the Lord is trying to teach us something in the midst of this, this COVID pandemic. And so, let's just take a moment to, uh, to just ground ourselves in prayer before we go into the Scriptures today. We pray with me, Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, and the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. I pray, Lord, that as we hear from your word, as we learn about your ways, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be opened, that our minds would be open, that we would hear what it is that your Holy Spirit wants to speak to each of our hearts about our own self, about the transformation that you want to happen within each of us individually. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strip away our old selves and that you would show us how to put on the new. Father, as I teach today, I pray that you would guide my words that your spirit would be the one speaking to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered, am I actually living the life that Jesus called me to live? You know, is my life actually representing Jesus Christ in all of my thoughts, in all of my actions? Am I actually living my life in Christ or do i just kind of believe that there was a Christ have you have have you ever actually pondered how your engagement in church life and in, and in your personal life actually is all interconnected to one another Like These are things that I actually spend time pondering. I spend a lot of time thinking and praying about, Lord, how is my life lining up with who you are calling me to be? As we've been studying the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, that is exactly the questions that Paul is pondering himself and would like to communicate the answers to this church. Paul is incredibly invested in how the life of the church is lived out in everyday life. He's not actually really pounding a whole lot of theology into their heads saying, you need to learn more, you need to do more. What what he's actually doing in this book is he's lovingly guiding a church into a Christ-centered life. A life that that is completely saturated in Jesus Christ. Because that is the life that Jesus himself calls each of us that believe in him to live. That all of our actions, everything we do, every thought we have, that it can either be in Christ or it can be in the world. And I struggle with, with the, the, the challenges that we have of the world penetrating our thought pattern and our thought life. And because the world's penetrating our thought pattern and our thought life, we're actually not living our lives for Jesus, but instead we're living our lives for ourselves, or we're living our lives by, by the ways of the world, the standards of the world, instead of this radical call of being reformed into the likeness of the creator. And so this series in the book of Colossians, more specifically in chapter 3, I have just found it incredibly life-giving for Paul to, to, to say, you know, these are the things that get in your way of living your life for Jesus, and so get rid of those things in your lives and the things that surround all those things. Get rid of that person. You need to die to yourself in order to put on the things that Jesus actually wants you to be. And if I was honest, I catch myself thinking like the world all the time. I catch myself putting on the dirty clothing, so to speak, that Paul talks about, the things that we're supposed to rid ourselves of. In one way or another, I may not be doing the things that are on his list, but the principles that surround them, I often catch myself doing those exact things. It's not always simple to just get rid of something and put on something new. And the Apostle Paul knows this, and that's the heart behind his letter. Today, I'm going to wrap up the teaching in chapter 3, and the passage that we're going to deal with is chapter 3, starting at verse 18, going all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. But before I teach that I want you to understand a couple things as we go through chapter 3, that all of this is interconnected. That this whole chapter is one flow of thought. And so the passage that we're about to get into, instructions for Christian households, it's not disconnected from all of the passages that tell us to rid ourselves and to put these things on. So I want to quickly go through chapter 3, then give us a caveat before we go into uh, verse 18 and the teaching today. And so very quickly, I want to read through chapter 3 just to remind us. And didn't Pastor Tamil just do a bang-up job at walking us through verses uh, 12 to, to 17 last week? I just thought that her reflection on that was just amazing. And so I want to draw us back into reflecting that way. This chapter starts like this. And so I need you to open your Bibles and work along with me today. It's important that you interact with your Bibles. So work with me. Paul says, Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, where he's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so Paul very quickly establishes a way, a pattern of how we need to be thinking. And it's not thinking like how we thought when we didn't know Christ. It's thinking in a heavenly way, so not an earthly way, not earthly logic, not earthly wisdom or earthly power or earthly control, but to be thinking eternal things, heavenly things, think much bigger picture than the way that the world thinks because the world has been corrupted by sin and it needs a savior in order to correct its way of thinking. And so he says you have to die to to that old way and you have to begin to think differently. But the only way to do that is to put the old to death. Now, I know so many of us really like the old. So many of us really like the way that things used to be because that was the good old days. But when you actually reflect in Christ and the wisdom and knowledge that scripture gives us, sometimes the old was not the best. And so we have to put off those things. We have to learn to discern those things. And we can't just hold on to those things because they're comfortable. You know, often sin in our lives is actually the most comfortable place to be. It's often uncomfortable to live with the heavenly mindset that Jesus calls us to. And so Paul says in verse five, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives us a list. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, like, some of these things I'm guilty of, some of these things I'm not. Um, but the principle behind them is, is the things that are bringing me pleasure, if the things that are bringing me pleasure and it's all about me uh, are the things that I'm constantly seeking in my life, Paul says, those are the things that are getting in your way. They're distracting you from living your life in Jesus and for Jesus. And so you need to put those things off. And he says in verse six, because of these things, because of this way of thinking, this way of living life in a worldly sense, in a sense where it's about my pleasure, He says, the wrath of God is coming. And I said when I taught on this that we will all give an account for each moment of our life. We will all stand before the Lord one day as Christians, not in judgment of our salvation, but in judgment of how we lived our salvation. Were we a justified Christian or a sanctified Christian? And Paul wants us to all be sanctified, to become more and more like Jesus. And so all of our actions, everything we do, we're accountable for all of it. Even though the world sees some of it as competency, God would see it as sin. And so he says, the wrath of God is coming because of these things. He says, you used to walk in, in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself. Here comes another list. Rid yourself of all such things. Put these things off. Get rid of them. They get in your way of your life in Christ. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self. Now, what is the sign of what that new self looks like? He says the new self is the person that is being renewed in the knowledge in the, Im- in the image of its creator. So the new person is the one who is really pressing in to getting to know Jesus more and more. As a matter of fact, their whole life goal now, everything that they live for, everything that they think about is actually centered in Christ. That's the most important thing, is to know the creator in a deeper way so that that creator can form us into the likeness of Jesus. Because the Jesus Christ, his likeness, his character is the mark of whether we're sinning or not. And so whenever we're not like Jesus, we're actually living in sin. And so it's really important in our new self, in our new way of living and thinking, that we're renewed in knowledge in the image of our creator. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and is in all. Jesus is the center and he doesn't discriminate in any way. Jew, Gentile, Jesus doesn't see it that way. Male, female, Jesus doesn't see it that way. That's a worldly way of thinking. You need to hear that. Then he says, therefore, a passing word. He says, therefore, here's the solution. This is what I'm asking of you. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, Pastor Tamil rightly spent some time with that passage because that's super important to understand if we're going to understand Paul's, uh, Paul's teaching here is that we are, uh, God's chosen people. If you believe in Christ as your savior, you are adopted into his family as his chosen people. You have taken on the seed of Abraham, the scriptures say. And so you've been brought into that overarching family in Christ. And that is what brings you your holiness because God sees you through the lens of Jesus who is seated at his right hand interceding for us. And so a lot about our lives may not actually be holy, But God is seeing us as holy, holy, set apart, and dearly loved. We need to understand and live under the love of Jesus Christ. And when it says dearly loved, it's the kind of love that we could never even possibly explain or experience here on earth. It's unconditional love. The love of Christ is offered to you unconditionally because you are chosen to be part of his family. He says, here are the things now that you need to put on. This is the way that you are supposed to think, which then creates the way you act. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and gentleness, and patience bear with each other, bear with each other. That means that our relationships will not be perfect in the church, that we actually need to learn to bear with each other. And he says, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Folks, the Lord forgave us for something we didn't deserve to be forgiven for. And what Paul is calling us to, what Jesus Christ calls us to, is to forgive others in that way, to bear with others, in that way, he says that over all of these virtues, none of these virtues are possible unless you put on love. So all of these virtues—gentleness, compassion, kindness, humility, uh, patience—all of these things need to be done through the lens of the love of Jesus Christ because it's that love that binds them all together in perfect unity. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. No, not the world ruling in your hearts, not selfishness and sin ruling in your hearts, but the peace of Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus has given his life for you and you resting in that forgiveness and that grace. That's what you're clothing your heart with. The peace of Christ ruling your heart, guiding your decisions, guiding your actions, guiding your behaviors and the way that you think. He says, since all members were one body and were called to peace, and be thankful. You see, thankful hearts, a grateful heart, a heart that's compassionate, and kind. These are the things that we put on in order to be like Christ, who he's called his church to be. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalm, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitudes in your heart. So that posture of worship and having gratitude and caring for one another. And then he says, and whatever you do, and this is going to take us into our passage this week, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, in everything you do, center it in Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for you and I. I mean, what an amazing section of teaching that Paul has challenged the church in Coloss- Colossi with, as well as us today. Now, the passage that we're going to move into, it's a passage that has actually been misused for centuries in the Christian church. And so I want to put a couple caveats to it before I walk you through this passage. Firstly, Paul is not stopping his, his mode of thought here. All of the things we just read, put to death, rid yourself of, put these things on. He's using that context to now shift it into what does that look like in an everyday family? What does that look like in everyday life? What do these concepts of compassion and patience and kindness and and putting on love and all things, what do they look like in our everyday life? And secondly, Paul wrote this in first century culture. And Paul never actually writes to change, uh, uh, like to, to, to go against a culture by making it a cause of I'm going to rid this culture of the way that it feels about women or I'm going to rid this culture about the way that it feels about money. He never takes that approach. He often uses the culture and then redefines how we as Christians go about living within that existing cultural structure. And in Greco-Roman culture, the man was the head of the household and the woman held very little value in anything. And the children, the man was also head over and, and they held very little value in the family. Now, this was the, the culture that Paul is speaking into, and it's a Greco-Roman culture, not actually a Jewish or a Christian culture. You see, the Jews at this time had been very Hellenized. What, what a Hellenistic Jew was, was just simply somebody who had grown up as a Jew, but had, been, had really taken on Greek culture as a Jew. And so in the first century, we saw this saturated throughout Judaism, where they had taken on structures of Rome in order to survive in their Jewish culture. And the higher article structure in family was actually a pagan Greco-Roman way of running a household. And so many of the Jews had adopted this. And Paul uses this structure in order to teach us how to live within that structure. And so he says things like in verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, many in the church have taken that to be wives, listen to the head of the household, whether you like it or not. Wives, submit to the man, because the man is over the woman. The challenge is, is that he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So what is fitting to the Lord? Well, everything Paul just taught us. So he's not saying, wives, submit to your husband who has not put to death sexual immorality, Who has not put to death impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, or which is idolatry? You know, don't you? Don't you don't have to submit to that person? He's saying, actually, submit to the one who has rid themselves of that, centered centered their life in Christ, and who has now clothed themselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and who is living under the forgiveness of Christ and offers the forgiveness to others. So, so don't read that passage of wives submit to your husbands just cause. It's wives submit to your compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, love-centered, Christ-centered husband who has surrendered his entire life to serving Jesus Christ. Wives, that's, that's who you submit to in this Roman Greco culture. Now, he takes it a step further and he says, "'Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them.'" It was very common in the culture that the husband, because of purely having the male status, was over the wife and could be harsh to them and completely get away with it. If we jump over to the book of Ephesians, which parallels uh, the book of Colossians and was probably written uh, well, Paul was in the same prison uh, that he was when he wrote to the Colossians, he says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he says both husband and wife are to be submitting themselves out of the, uh, to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this mutual submittance because we're submitting to Jesus first. And then he says wives submit to your own husbands. And then he says husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands love your wives in such a deeply sacrificial way, that you're willing to actually give your life up for her. So wives, submit yourselves to that compassionate, caring, patient, loving, Jesus-centered husband. And husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Give your life up for her. Don't be harsh to her. You see how all of this interconnects and how we relate to one another, especially in marriage? That when we rid ourselves of the things that pull us away from God and we put on the things that draw us closer to God, our relationships now function in unity and harmony. And the conflict that we often have doesn't exist nearly as much because both husband and wife's lives are submitting themselves to Christ. Then he says children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. It goes with the same thing. If parents are treating their children in a respectful, loving, Christ-centered way, the Bible's saying kids you need to submit to that. You need to live under that because they have life-giving things to offer you because they're connected. Their hearts and their minds are connected with Jesus. But Paul recognizes something that something needs to be dealt with that in the current Greco-Roman culture, fathers are actually making life nearly impossible for their children. Kind of like making that life where, you know, that A that you got in class, like that's pretty good, but you could have got an A+. plus. Like making life for your kids where they never do good enough. They could always do better. He says, fathers, in verse 21, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Don't be that kind of parent that is constantly pushing your kids so hard. That they could never live up to the expectations that you have for them because that what that will cause is them to be discouraged. And I can tell you as a former youth pastor, what that will also cause is a rebellion that you don't want to have to live through. And so parents, how you interact with one another has to be directly connected to your life in Christ, and you pass that on to your children through your actions, through your behavior, through the patterns that they see in your life. Your kids need to see you reading scripture, doing devotions. They need to see you interacting in a loving, Christ-centered way, and then you will influence them in a positive way. Now, the next part of the chapter in, in verse 22 is, is about slaves, and there's some caveats that we need to put to that. Because, first of all, in this day and age, we don't have slaves. We don't have household slaves. But in the culture at this time when this was written, having slaves as part of your household was completely normal. Now, I'm not going to get into all the different caveats of the difference of slavery in Paul's time compared to slavery in, say, you know, the 1950s in, in southern United States or anything like that. We, don't, we really don't need to get into that. What Paul is really addressing here is when you're working for someone else, he's in no way endorsing slavery. Anybody that reads that the Bible endorses slavery is not reading the scriptures through the lens of Christ. Paul does does not ever endorse slavery. If anything, he speaks against it. Philemon, which is also connected to the book of Colossians, is all about Paul begging for Philemon to let his slave free, to let him have a free life, because Paul has developed a relationship with him. But that's that's a side note. So slaves, he says, obey your earthly masters in everything. I want you to think about this in our context today, as your workplace? When you're under the authority of someone, how is it that the Bible teaches us to function? He says to obey your earthly masters, obey your boss and everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. In other words, don't just be a people pleaser when the boss is looking. You actually need to be doing everything that you're doing in Christ. You're not working for that boss, you're working for Jesus Christ. And this person that you have put on, this compassion, kind, humble person, is exactly the posture that you're supposed to have when you're working with the authority that's above you. Now this becomes difficult, doesn't it? He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Folks, there's lots of wrong in our world. There's lots of mistakes that leaders make, that bosses make in the workplace. But ultimately, as Christians, who have put off, put to death, these things that pull us away from Jesus and have put on the things that lead us into a life in Christ. We think differently and we act differently and we obey authority over us because we're not obeying them. We're actually obeying Jesus. Now I'm running out of time and so we'll quickly move through this. He also brings accountability to the boss, to the masters. He says, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so he's saying as Christians, if you are a boss, if you are a master, you need to do it in such a way that you're accountable to heaven for everything that you do. You see, as Christians, everything that we do, every relationship that we have, we are actually directly accountable for. When I reflect on this passage and all of chapter 3, really what Paul is simply teaching us, whether it's how it functions in a household or how it functions in any relationship, is when you rid yourself of these things and you put on these things and Jesus becomes your everything, your relationships will be far less messy. Because you'll be willing to offer grace. You'll be willing to forgive someone who really doesn't deserve forgiveness. Because that is what we clothe ourselves in, in all of our relationships. Now, the thing is, is we fail at these things. We don't always do this perfectly. Thank God For the grace that he offers to each of us. And thank God for the Holy Spirit living in us. Because if we had our way, and Paul knows this, this is why he's teaching this. If we had our way, we would do things our way. But what Paul is saying in chapter 3, when it comes to relationships between husbands and wives and children and fathers and our employers that everything we do must be done with heaven in mind, with eternity in mind, that we're thinking heavenly and that we're putting on this new self and we're putting off the old. And when we do that, we show the world Jesus through our relationships. It's a form of evangelism, actually, that we just naturally get, because when our relationships are shaped and formed to be in Christ, instead of in human ways and in worldly ways, then Christ is seen through all of our relationships. And so I want to challenge you this morning. What kind of husband are you? What kind of wife are you? What kind of dad or mom are you? How are you at work? How are you in all relationships that you have in your life? Do you treat people with kindness and compassion and patience and gentleness? Are the fruits of the Spirit evident in your relationships? I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to actually begin to cultivate your heart and your mind and to begin to search deeper within yourself and to have some honesty about the challenges that you may have in the character that you're taking on. And ask Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to transform your mind and renew it into the likeness of Christ. And therefore, by changing the way you think, change the way your heart responds to others. That's the heart of Paul in this passage. And so don't read this passage as power over another. Read this entire section of scripture as a willingness to give up one's power, to clothe ourselves in the likeness of Christ.